welcome to Destination Leadership, the podcast for people interested in diving into the worlds of inspiring leaders to learn from them. I'm your host, Katrin Grunwald, founder of The Globe Team, organizational development consultant, and coach for first-time leaders. Welcome to episode number one, in which I'm talking to Philip Heider. Philip is a doctor and the founder of a social business called Brain Boost here in Munich. He was recommended to me by a dear friend of mine as the best boss she ever had, because she said he has a vision and also really listens to the needs of the individuals. Sitting down and talking to Philip, I think I know where she comes from. Um, in the interview, we talk about the business, um, which is the startup um, and also a medical practice. And we talk about how it was, especially at the beginning for him, coming out of university, then also starting to lead a team in the startup. And um, we talk a lot about his values, especially in the area of humble leadership, with some very concrete examples. Um, you'll hear, for example, how sitting in front of a wall with the back towards the room has to do with that for Philip. So enjoy the conversation. Today, I'm right in the middle of Munich and I'm sitting here with Philipp Heiler. And Philipp is a doctor and the founder of a social business. So I think a very interesting combination. Welcome, Philipp, to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to start right away with you and your business. So for um, our listeners to get a better understanding of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I would say most importantly, I'm passionate about <laughs> the brain and also about people's quality of life and how they can achieve their goals in life. And so putting this together during med school, I stumbled upon this technology, which is called neurofeedback. And I would say this is the linking element of everything we do is the brain and the technology of neurofeedback. And when we learned that neurofeedback can help you to understand the brain, measure the brain, but also to train the brain or help people train their own brains, This made it very interesting for us and this is why we took a closer look at the technology and people already providing it and also the where it's located in, in a business context and then we saw that there is a huge gap. I mean obviously it is a niche market, niche technology but there's also nobody really in there filling this niche in a professional sense and so right after med school didn't take the typical doctor's path but said, let's go for it. And then with my brother, Tobias, mm -hmm. I started um, a medical practice and also the business called Brain Boost, focusing on neurofeedback and how we can apply it in different business cases, how we can further develop the technology, how we can offer it in a medical sense to companies and in a non-medical sense. And this was three and a half years ago. Yes. Really interesting, I find the, the step from going right away from med school, seeing a need in the world out there to improve people's lives, and then you guys set up your own company. What was the vision that guided you? Does it go in line with your passion, or is it even something greater that made you start the business? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's even maybe a, a bit greater, or let's say a, a bit different. I mm -hmm. always knew during med school that I wanted to change something in the world <laughs> in the world i want to change the world exactly no but seriously i did know that i could not handle just participating in a running system mm -hmm. 
but I wanted to, to bring some change to it. I was also aware that I had no idea about how to do it. And so I also joined the programs in Munich helping uh, non-business non med schools to, <laughs> or med students to um, learn something about business and, and entrepreneurship and so on. And so I joined different programs to actually get a skill set to figure out how can I pursue this, um, this vision. And then I, um, I think then I narrowed it down to I want to I wanna stay in, in, let's say, in, the, in, the, in, the, in Germany or in Europe. So I didn't feel like I, sh I should go to an underdeveloped country and make a change there. I mean, this is very important, obviously, mm -hmm. but this was not where I felt I belong. So I said, mm -hmm. hey, we have also problems here. We have people who are not happy here in Germany or who are not really seizing their lives and feeling comfortable with it. And so I wanted to help these people. And then I saw that there is a big need of mental fitness and more ways to achieve mental health because it's becoming more and more of a problem that people are struggling with problems like depression, burnout, ADD, pressure, stress. And so this was a growing problem. And then like in a typical startup, we had the problem, we had a solution. So we started <laughs> to figure out how, how it works. And, and I think I would even consider the, because you talked about leadership, that the step of not pursuing this path of a regular mm -hmm. doctor was probably my first act of leadership where I was really having a lot of people asking me, are you sure? Do you, can you do this? Are you allowed to do this? Do you want to do this? You're leaving a very certain path that could leave, uh, lead you right to retirement, <laughs> living a good life. And so I was like, yes, I'm sure I want to do this. And this was like maybe the first time where I really did something that has the, was more uncomfortable than just yeah. going the comfortable way. Yeah, I think this is a, doing something that you believe in And really, with all the consequences that come along with that, is, I, in, in my opinion, something that also defines leadership. And we'll talk more about what, what does it mean leadership for you and your path also with your team. Um, but just for the people out there who have never heard about Brain Boost, I'd love to give them the chance to really find out um, in a few words, what is it concretely that you do? Yeah, this is the question I'm most afraid of because it's very, <laughs> very hard to explain. So I would say what, what ties it all together is what I already said. We want to help people to get more awareness and more control over the brain's activity and thus over their performance and also their quality of life. And the technology we use is neurofeedback, which means we measure brain's activity using an EEG. So it's a, the brain waves we are measuring. Advantages, this is a technology that has been around for 100 years, so it's very well understood and validated. So we measure people's brain states and then instantly convert them into some sort of feedback that is easily understood. So for example, something you see on a screen or something you hear, and this feedback is reflecting your brain's activity. So the easiest or the simplest way to do this would be to just watch a graph on a screen. And this graph would, for example, to put it very simple, show you how relaxed your brain is. So whenever this graph goes up, your brain is just a bit more relaxed and when this graph goes down the brain starts to be more is more stressed and so um, by watching this graph you can start to try to understand what makes the graph go up or does it make what can what, what makes it go down and and is there are there some peaks in there or which thoughts which behavior which habits will change this the the um, course of the graph 
And this is basically what neurofeedback means. You sit down and you take 30 minutes or so, or 20 or 40 minutes, and you try to set up a specific training protocol where you say, okay, I want to try to get more relaxed. And then you have this kind of visualization. It's not always a graph. We also have it very gamified in games where you have a character that jumps up or down responding to your brain's activity. It can be music that is changed in volume. So whenever you're trying to, like when you want to, pretty much we're telling the brain, hey, if you want to listen to the music, you should do something that is more <laughs> relaxed. And what's, yeah. what's very interesting, just to put this real quick there, is that it's not about only testing the strategies you might already have. So most people start out with sitting down and then they start regulating their breathing and they say, oh, this makes the graph go up. So it means I'm, I'm more relaxed maybe. Yes, and this is the learnings of the first few hours maybe, but then you start to really get into it and feel like, hey, there's also some subconscious learning here. Like I kind of get a feeling of what changes the graph without being able to link it to a specific mm -hmm. emotion that I already have in my repertoire. So this means you, you really get a sense of how to change your brain's activity, I often compared to learning a musical instrument, which means, I mean, obviously you can explain to someone how a piano works, but how you play the piano is just, I just know how to do it mm -hmm. so I can do it. And this is where we want to bring people. Yeah. And so super interesting <laughs> <laughs> because I studied psychology. So of course I have a, a personal interest in finding out how the brain works. And what I find so interesting about the work you guys do is seeing not just how the brain works, but how me as a person, I can actively work with my brain in order to improve relaxation in order, or also to improve performance, to really be on peak um, when it comes to me needing my brain for my daily business. Exactly. And, and so to be honest, to see, this is why I'm afraid of this question. I haven't answered it completely. So this is <laughs> how we do it, but what do we do? So we offer this technology, but also the service to different kinds of people. We have a medical practice where we offer it to patients who have medical condition they want to improve with neurofeedback. We also have people coming here with no obvious medical condition that say, I want to improve my sleeping, my performance, my meditation skills or um, something like this, my sports. And we also have companies who want to bring more mindfulness or more empathy or just more understanding of, uh, of, of mental fitness to their companies. And then we go there and we also work with the people there. So I would say we are a, a service provider that offers people solutions or tools to help them improve their mental fitness and mental well-being. Yeah, super interesting. So I'll put the link to your company in the show notes. So people, if they want to find out, they can find out more. And I'd be curious now to move to your leadership steps that you have taken in those three years after med school and setting up the company. So I'd like to start with a very general question. What is good leadership to you? To me, um, the, I mean, the, the concept of, I would say, humble leadership. So this means that as a, as a leader, you need to um, be humble about what you do, but always still be, be, be certain about it. And a, a quote I read about it is, um, dream arrogant, but act humble. So you need to know where you want to go and you need to make sure that you will do everything to, to achieve this vision. But on the other hand, um, you should not be the one always, you know, uh, putting yourself in front of each other, of, of others. And so this means that you need to um, show and don't tell. You need to live by your values, by your principles and hope that or like hope or it works when you see that other people follow your 
principles and your values without you telling them to follow your values and say, hey, this is important to me. The best way, I think, is when other people understand, hey, this is important to Philip. So I would try to put this into my daily work at Brain Boost, for example. What kind of specific examples do you have that you personally said, okay, yes, I want to be a role model and I want to be seen as humble. What actions have you taken? Yeah, so I think it is very important to not lose um, connection to any of the processes happening here, even if that means that I uh, clean the dishwasher myself. It actually makes a lot of sense because I'm usually the first person coming in here and then it makes sense to not just take a clean cup and get my coffee, but rather to say, hey, there's a lot of clean uh, dishes in the dishwasher, let's open it and just take it out for one minute. You can even turn this into a like a, <laughs> a ritual. <laughs> yeah, mindfulness practice, actually. Yeah. This means it's something that grounds you because you know, this is the first thing I do before I check emails or anything else. And so this means I do, I bring out the trash, I do the dishwasher, but then on the other hand also, if there is a very important um, workshop coming up or, or a meeting coming up, then I also the one who really puts in a lot of effort, even if that means staying longer or doing some extra shifts on the weekend. So it means that there's variety of stuff I do, I think it's very important so that people see that, okay, he's doing everything that comes up. And um, this also means that People respect what you do and they, they like if for example I leave early on one day, nobody will question this because they already know okay he's working so much more than everybody else and still doing everything. So I think staying involved in most processes and not, you know, being too um, snobby to do stuff that might not be as appealing or as important, because at the end of the day it is important. Because this was one very important lesson learned is that the team spirit and the feeling of the team and the connection of leaders and team is, is really important. And a small gesture like, hey, look at this, I'm also dealing with the trash, dealing with the dishwasher and stuff like this, or with technical computer problems, um, shows just that you care about that people can do their job well. And I think this is very important. Yeah, yeah. as a leader to enable the team to do their job and to support than you and your vision. Yeah. So for example, one more <laughs> example, yeah. if we, we, we have a, a product here that is quite technical. And so the worst feeling would be to have someone dealing with a client that is in here and, and he cannot, for example, probably do the training and um, because there's something, some technical error or whatever. And then this obviously puts him in a very bad position because in front of the client, he has to kind of like admit that I have, uh, um, that, that, he has uh, something that he has no idea about how to fix it. And so then when people come to our, when I'm, for example, sitting in a big office and people come to me and it's like, hey, there's a problem with this or that. And we have, like, I instantly stand up and follow the person to the room instead of saying like, hey, did you try this? Did you try that? Uh, you know what? I don't have time for this. So I put this priority first and then I help them with it. And then I try to kind of like, do something like say, hey, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, I changed this yesterday. Or, oh, I, this is the new updated changed a bit so that the client also realizes, oh, it was not because the person dealing with me was too stupid to understand it, but there was a change he didn't know of. So also kind of like protecting um, the people doing the work and, and not saying like, oh, are you stupid? You should know this by now and so on. Yeah. How was the mindset, this, this humble mindset that you described um, from the very beginning? So I'm just putting myself in the position you and Tobias, your brother, setting up the company and then having employee number one, employee number two, three. Um, how did this mindset and also 
your own vision of how you want to lead as a leader changed in the course of growing the team? Yeah. So I started out, you know, it was basically just me because Tobias was still at university. So the first, uh, we started our business taking a, a one office in a business center. Um, and, and then I was sitting there most of the time <laughs> having, having a few clients. And then also I had to do everything myself, billing them, making appointments, talking to them developing new stuff, fixing stuff that should be running and so on. So I was doing a lot of processes myself at the beginning. And so when the team grew, one of the main challenges was to figure out how can I delegate those processes to other team members. And this is uh, challenging for both sides in different ways. So I think it's, it's very hard to find or it's very important to find the right amount of delegation and also leading team members. So for example, writing invoices to clients. This was something that I knew the process and obviously something you usually don't want to deal with because you just want it to be over with. And then I, I, th I thought, you know, if I do it myself, it takes me one minute. If I need to teach someone else how to do the process, it would take several days. So I just stick with doing it myself because it saves time. But on the long term, it doesn't save time. It just means you have to do more stuff, which you can't, the time you can't invest in anything else. And so... Just realizing this and taking, setting the time aside to teach someone how to do this made a huge change afterwards because then I didn't have to deal with it anymore at all. And, and so figuring out not only how can I delegate this by saying, hey, you do this now, but rather how can I help people, how can I enable people to feel comfortable with the process. And um, this also is important for, for the team spirit because if people feel like you're just tossing the stuff you don't want to do to them this doesn't make them feel good and you need to kind of like make sure are you comfortable with this do you feel comfortable doing it and are you also at least somewhat happy about this task i mean writing invoices is not something that makes you very happy but still you know do you understand why you are the person in charge of this now and why i can't do it myself anymore and i think this is very important to check that so learning how can we delegate stuff to people without just tossing it at them and, you know, um, giving them a process that they can't handle at this point. And then I would say there was the time when we also learned, hey, we have a team now and we need to take care of this team. And so one of the decisions we took, uh, I think it was the second year of business, but like the first year with a bigger team, we felt like we need to show the team that we appreciate them. And so for Christmas, we decided that everybody gets a little gift card and also we want to have a big Christmas party. I mean, we were like 10 people at that time, uh, not full-time employees, mm -hmm. but just let's say 10 people being involved with the project. And for a startup, the, even if the total cost may be like 2,000 euros or something, this is a lot of money. And as a founder, you feel like we should invest this in anything else but alcohol on the team for Christmas <laughs> but it was a very important step the team yeah. really appreciated it and so investing the money in the team very early um, was a very important step and an important learning that it's maybe better invested money than putting it out for marketing or I don't know mm -hmm. buying new equipment or fancy computers for yourself but really putting this money in the team very early in the state and this is still something I feel like um, we are we are we are still taking taking the positive effects from and we have established then like a summer celebration and then christmas parties and a, a 
year review and so on. So investing money and time in the team early, even though you feel like it, it hurts you as a startup, was a very important lesson and I think also a very important act of leadership. Talking about acts of leadership, where do you get your inspiration, let's say, for your acts of leadership? Are there some mentors you have or also for your own development? That's actually an interesting question because I would say, um, unlike a lot of other people I know, I don't have a classical role model. So when other people say, ah, Steve Jobs or whatever, <laughs> um, I often feel like, I want to leave my own footprints, you know, and all like every role model, every possible role model I know also has some downsides to them. So it's hard for me to adopt them as a role model. So for example, Steve Jobs. Yeah, talk, yeah talking about Steve Jobs. Yeah, yeah, he was known for a lot of bad stuff as well. And so I kind of like, I feel like I haven't met this or I haven't learned about it. One person where I feel like he's 100% okay. And even if he's 100% okay at that time, Maybe something happens that makes him fall, you know. There is some scandal coming up or some act that was not very positively received. And then I feel like, okay, what now? My role model pretty much died, you know. He's, he's now um, a persona non grata. Yeah? He's not um, positively. And then what do I do then? Do I feel like, how, how does this appeal to me? And so this is why I usually don't have this one role model as a person, but rather as a, a feeling or like a, a, a style of life um, that I, I go for. And I think I like to do some cherry picking with different personalities where I feel like, hey, this is a good aspect. Let's put this in. This is a good aspect. Let's put this in. And so kind of like form my own virtual perfect role model. And this is why I try to go with what I do. Uh, so if you think about this uh, ch cherry-picked role model, what are aspects that help you that you see in others that you like and that you put into your own behavior as a leader? Yeah. So for example, we do have a very like technological um, product or service. So this means we could say, okay, as a tech company, we need to have everything very shiny and we, we need to, you know... Um, um, show everything that we do high-tech stuff and we have software development, hardware development and so on. So we do a lot of shiny tech stuff and we also want to show that. We want to show that we are a brand that is um, serious about what we do. On the other hand, also considering humble leadership and the, the fact that we want to help people to find more ways of interacting with themselves, this could be, this is something that is that is very personal and maybe even a little bit or with a lot of, like, let's say, um, positive acceptance towards people and their own standards of life. So this means it also involves a kind of like a group feeling that might go more into like a hippie way of life, you know, <laughs> just sitting together doing mindfulness or meditation. This is maybe the absolute opposite of a tech company. But I like this aspect, aspect as well. And, you know, if we go to a client and we show them all this techie stuff and measure brains and whatever, and then we say, so now let's sit down and if you want to join a meditation with us and there are 60 people staying in the room doing a meditation because they're like, okay, there was a lot of tech stuff. They know what they're talking about. So if they tell me that meditating, just sitting there, watching my breathing can help me, then I, I believe them. Mm -hmm. And so playing also with these different um, aspects is a lot of fun and I think can also help you to bring across your message and help clients. And we do the same with leadership. I mean, um, 
we work hard and we work a lot, but we make it look easy and fun and we laugh a lot. And for example, if um, even if we know we have a lot of pressure because there's a meeting coming up, we still try to set aside time for breaks and so on. So I think this combination of um, being a hard worker and also being a good team that is very friendly and so on without pretending. This is again, you need to live it. You need to feel it and it needs to fit your personality. If it doesn't, then it will never work. And so these are some examples. Yeah. What were, it sounds like it was a, um, a, a good ride so far, I would say, those three years uh, of the team growing, you're the, you continue working with the technology, growing clients. Um, what would you say were challenges also when it came to the team and where you as a leader really had to maybe step in or situations that you remember where um, maybe also your way of leading was challenged? Yeah, so I think what is a, is a big challenge and still going on is that we have, we are uniting a lot of like different business fields. So we have in our team people with a business background, we have people with an entrepreneurship background, we have psychologists with clinical um, background, we have psychologists with non-clinical background, we have health scientists, we have sports scientists, we have engineers. And so putting all of them together and also the way they uh, kind of interact with each other and the way that they are in this like melting pot of <laughs> um, different people, this can be quite challenging. So for example, we did have a team meeting where we felt like we should define because we also have a very separated, um, we have the, the medical practice and Brain Boost are separated in many ways. For example, two different websites, two different CIs, two different um, standings, different client groups and so on. But we share the team and the rooms. And so this means there's a lot of separation, but also a lot of uh, putting things together. And then we kind of like got the feeling that some team members didn't really know what was expected from them. So for example, when the medical practice psychologists felt like they, or this was, I never thought of it, but it just came up the question. So do, does this mean that I need to try to sell brain boost services to the patients? And this was, you know, <laughs> alarm bells ringing is like no no because i knew this was not this was not the vision but they didn't know and this was a realization that the team does not know what you know and what you <laughs> they think they can't look into your brain <laughs> yeah exactly and so this is why well not yet we might, <laughs> you're working on it we might develop a tool for that now so then we started the workshop where we started to put out hey what does the medical practice do what does brain mm -hmm. what do we do at all like what is it that we're doing and also where does everybody feel like they're located? And then we figured out that we could generally split the people in specialists and generalists. And this means a totally different role for people, no matter what they do. And so, for example, our clinical psychologists, they were rather specialists. They would deal with the patients and nobody would expect for them to promote Brain Boost products. And then on the other hand, we did have some Brain Boost members that would never interact or with with a medical patient and putting this out there and figuring out, hey, we are all a team and, and everybody has a role and there is some positive interference between the two businesses, but there's not in some ways they are strictly separated. So really put this out there and work it in a workshop with a team instead of me telling them what I think is the right thing. This was a good decision and this worked out really well and everybody was coming up afterwards. Hey, this was a great workshop. 
two hours roughly was it and and it, it really helped me a lot and I feel more attached to the team and so on. That's something I see uh, in my work as a consultant for team development. I see that so much that um, even uh, so for some of the basics like what do I do? What is my role? How do I contribute to the team, to the overall pictures? What do the others do? Oh, here maybe we have something in common. We can support each other. Seeing those basics of team interaction really makes a huge difference. So it's, it's great that you guys are also working on, on the kind of team development side. Yeah. Just for our listeners, I realized um, that we didn't mention that at the beginning, we are actually in a medical practice here. So you have a medical practice, plus you have the Brain Boost social business. So that's important <laughs> just for, for the people then to, to follow what you just mentioned. Um, I have another question which is regarding to the ecosystem in which you're working, because you mentioned you have people who are official employees. You also mentioned the team is growing, but I know there's a, a much larger strategy behind. Could you elaborate a bit more on, on the ecosystem that you're building? Yeah. So the... Actually, this was the when we first started with Brain Boost, this was my idea of what I wanted to be. Some kind of playground, some kind of, well, maybe even style of life or movement or community that helps people to get more from their brains. And so when we started out with that, we thought, hey, we have the best uh, chances to make this happen because we have a technology that helps everybody. And so we started to in marketing terms, put it out there for everybody. And then we saw, hmm, if you try to target everybody, you target nobody. <laughs> and so this is why we then started to first focus back to the medical business. And I think this is for me a very important quality of running, uh, of building up a, a social entrepreneurship uh, business or a social entrepreneurship in general means you need to know where you want to go with it. But if it needs to take a step to first build up a business model that is generating more leverage for your your company, this is a very important step, I think, which is often forgotten. You know, only running your company based on funds and funding is very dangerous because it can happen. You're, you're very dependent from other people. And so we saw, okay, let's build up first like a basic business that is running still in the medical field. So I would consider it still a bit social at least, but you know, we earn money with it, obviously. And so we started to do this and then we started to add more and more business fields to it. And so especially would say in the last half year, Brain Boost and also the medical practice, but still this is more like a little fortress in the entire <laughs> thing because we want to make sure that the medical treatment will never be affected by anything happening around it. It needs to be very well taken care of. And so this community was growing and then we saw that this brings challenges, but also for some people it just feels natural. So we don't have full-time, part-time employees. We have very interesting structures where we have uh, people that are actually, let's say, um, franchise or licensed partners of us. So they pay us money for getting our technology, our branding and so on. But then on the other hand, we also cooperate on working with businesses and then we have a separate a contract that gives us some revenue sharing model for that. So this means we're interacting in two different levels with them. And then, for example, we also have another person who is, uh, who is a mini jobber, 400 euro jobber, and, but she built together an entire conference and put together an entire conference and, and this, the 400 euros are more of a symbolic value, we also have a revenue sharing model with her. So this means 
we we have a lot of different models working with people and and this is very interesting because for example we have a license um or license partner in ecuador and she just addresses us and like hey i'm in ecuador and i feel like what you're doing is good i i want to be part of that can we make this happen and we're like yes why not i mean and then we put together like a three line contract and send her the stuff and that's it and now we yesterday we had another skype call and it's just naturally fits in there what would you say sorry to interrupt you there but um for this kind of um leading a, a real ecosystem where it's not just i have a direct team they all report to me they have their contracts and this is the business but really thinking broader and i think also more in a modern This is how society in the business world is changing. So what do you think are the leadership qualities that are even more important when working on a team that is such so diverse when it comes to, well, their contract situation? Yeah, I would say communication and, and empathy skills. So it's the same, the same thing. I know what I want and I know how people fit into the ecosystem, but the team maybe doesn't. So then questions come up like, who is that? Why is he here? What exactly is he doing here? Uh, is he now a member of the team or is he uh, like, what is he doing here? And I know what he's doing here because I've dealt with many hours with him and I figured everything out perfectly. And we feel like this works great, but the others don't know that. So I guess communicating that, including the people involving the people saying like, hey, please um, tell each Tell everybody what you do and, and let them ask you questions so they know who you are, with which issues or projects they can talk to you, what you can bring in there. And so I would say this, this, this skill of trying to make an open, transparent communication and proactively tell people what we are trying to do and how we interact and maybe let them tell each other what they are doing. Uh, especially since we are a very young team and then we, now we have licensed partners that are much older but have a lot of experience but then again they don't necessarily naturally fit in the team because just because they are older and behave differently and so on and i think putting communication and empathy like understanding why does why could this person have a problem or qualms or whatever about this person yeah so so um for example one um And also how, how does this person call them? Like there is some ex external person and we feel like to, to help these people deal with um, B2B clients or customers, it makes sense to give them a title like head of corporate strategies, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden there's someone nobody has ever seen that is not even working in the team and I'm introducing him. It's like, hey, this is the head of blah, blah, blah. And they're like, why is he head of this or that? And what is happening here? And then kind of like, differentiating between what is the message we want to send to people out of the company, but also what is what we really do inside the company. Yeah. So kind of like unite those or like explain those um, strategies. Yeah, that's so, so important. Again, this is something I see how this task of introducing a new person into the system is one of the biggest leadership tasks that can go well. And then it's clear, oh yeah, this new person comes in, this is their role, um, it fits all in. Or if, the, uh, if a leader does not introduce someone well, it can have really a detrimental effect on the others because then there's unclarity, fear maybe. What's the other person? Oh, has a special title. What's the other person doing? So I think this sounds like a, 
um, what you mentioned about really communicating, putting yourself in the shoes of the others, what would they like to know when someone comes in as a really, really important leadership task. Coming uh, towards the end, there's one thing I wanted to mention because when we walked around here in its kind of office and medical practice, um, I saw that in the big room where you have all your computers where the team is based, I saw that um, there's like one wall where there's all computers. And I know this is where you are sitting as well, right? Could you tell uh, the listeners a bit more about that setup, let's say, of the office? Yeah, so um, we... We have a, a big office here where most of the office stuff is happening. And then we have four additional smaller rooms that are um, meant to be for individual, individual sessions with patients or clients. And so it, it, actually I, I never realized uh, this until someone came in this one of the four rooms is a little bit bigger and a little bit nicer the one we are in right now. <laughs> and so somebody went in here and naturally asked me, oh, Philip, this is your office, I assume. And it's like, no, I sit with my team in the other office. And this kind of like made me realize, huh, it, it seems to be something that often we see that the, um, the leaders kind of like form their own small units in their own fortresses and kind of like disconnect with the team. And so when... In the bigger office, we, we have not a lot of space because that's what it means to work in a startup, not having a lot of office space. And so we, we decided that there's the need to put some computers or some screens, some, some working spaces right in front of a wall, which is a pretty crappy place. Maybe I think like since we are standing up and walking around a lot, it's okay. But then obviously those were four bit more crappy places. You face the door with your back very unnatural to sit like this and so we felt like who should be put there the interns or whatever but then we figured hey it would be a great signal and also symbol if the management team the leaders would take those bad places maybe and show them hey we take these places because we want to make sure that everybody else is feeling okay and we can handle this uncomfortable situation having everybody looking at you in the screen and whatever and this is again what i mean about living by your principles and your values there, you know, there was a time I feel like where a lot of uh, executives kind of took the door, symbolically took the door from their office and say, hey, my door is always open, blah, blah. But they still had their own office and everything. So, you know, it was more of a gesture. But I feel like really saying, hey, this is my regular spot. I will sit here. Everybody can see what I am doing. Um, and I don't mind sitting with my back to the door because I know my team will take care of everything that's happening. And so this is what really means to me living those principles. And in a certain way, because I feel like this is um, something, you know, I want to also show as a leader to my team. It makes me more happy to have this crappy place with a wall in front of my face. Uh, I'm looking in the computer most of the time anyway. So, But having this crappy place and showing everybody, hey, I don't mind, you know, this makes me happier than having a beautiful office with a nice view over Munich. Yeah, no, this is really um, a very specific example that uh, now knowing you just for a short amount of time, uh, I think beautifully shows the, the mindset that you try, that you live, try to live and do live with your team. So thank you very much. We come to the last question now. <laughs> Um, which is a question I ask all the guests on the podcast and um, it's an imaginary question. So imagine uh, that you would have um, the power to influence leaders around the world in their behavior and what kind of behavior 
would you like them to show? So it means um, what's so important that you think if you had this magic power, you would really love all leaders worldwide to act with their teams. Yeah. I think it can be... It's a very important question. First of, uh, first of all, a very interesting question as well. Um, I think the, the aspect would, would be a mixture of mindfulness and empathy. So to really narrow it down, and this is also what we try to do with our services, to create a certain amount of time between a stimulus and the actual reaction I present. I think this is putting it very simple. If every leader thought about what he's gonna, going to say, to do, how he's going to act, more than 40 milliseconds, but more like half a second or a second, <laughs> This, this would change a lot because it means that my conscious brain can go in there and figure out, is this really the appropriate reaction? And I think just changing this, this time frame, just putting this one second in there would change the way we, we lead and interact with each other enormously. So I would say giving them this one extra second <laughs> before they react or act and thus obviously influencing the way we communicate, the way we receive feedback, the way we think about, oh, was this good, was this bad, um, the way we understand how other people think, and also the way we often say things too quickly that came across wrong and then caused a huge problem, although it was just a misunderstanding. So this one second could maybe kill all misunderstandings in the world, <laughs> possibly. Thank you very much, Philip, for being a guest on the podcast today. Thank you. This was Destination Leadership, the podcast with inspiring leaders. I'm curious to hear what is it from this interview that you take away that has inspired you? Write to me via Instagram, Twitter, or get in touch via LinkedIn, all under my name, Katrin Grunwald. Also, if you have any feedbacks on the podcast or suggestions of leaders that have left a positive mark on you and you'd like others around the world, to hear this inspiration too. I look forward to welcoming you again on the next episode of Destination Leadership.